The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Scorebox with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. Uh, contagion fears easing, sending global equity markets higher, whilst U.S. core CPI tops estimates, putting more pressure on the Fed in the wake of the SVB collapse. China reports a rebound in consumer spending whilst real estate investment continues to lag as Beijing's post-COVID year gets off to a mixed start. Meta's year of efficiency continues as the Facebook parent announces another 10,000 layoffs, cancels thousands of open positions and kills low-priority projects. And the UK gears up for Chancellor Jeremy Hunt's first budget expected to unveil key pension and childcare reforms and push ahead with a controversial rise in corporation tax, which critics say will hit the recovery. Good morning, couple of busy days. Thank you yeah, for holding the fort. Yes. Yeah, well, um, I, did, I kind of, it was really quite nice actually looking with a dispassionate eye of what was going on in the debacle in US banking, the debacle from um, a lot of people who basically were, I think I saw one piece of copy, it said Captain Hindsight going on. I think that was from the FT editorial board. I mean, the ratings agencies absolutely ignominious in their failure to miss this. The regulators absolute failure to spot this coming as well. Uh, and there were so many things that were so obvious to so many of us. And while well, everybody always said, oh, the banks, the NIMS, they're going to do so well uh, out of rising interest rates. There were a few of us who all along said, no, there will be problems with assets and problems with delinquencies. And all of a sudden, it started to happen. And we, what do we see, three dominoes in total now? Yeah, I think we knew that something was coming, but we didn't know where it was coming from. And this was well, a, Isn't that the an whole area. point of regulators? <laughs> well, that's the point. And, and you can just throw auditors into the mix as well. I mean, auditors had signed off on the accounts fairly recently as yeah. well. So lots of questions and the investigations have already begun when it takes us to what we're seeing overnight. But I think when it comes to markets, it feels as though some of the calm has returned at this point. Why? We were even asking the question yesterday about the entry point and pricing around some of the banks now. And uh, some of the analysts were saying they did think it'd be a little bit of an overreaction when you look at global banks in general, that there are issues in some banks, but European banks are, that were better positioned at this stage. And uh, I think you've seen a little bit of calm, some hedge funds walking back into the arena, investors willing to buy up some of the regional banks. You, as well. you mean some of the vultures are, are circling? I, I actually uh, agree with the Moody's report. I just think the Moody's report came a week too late. The fact <laughs> is there are vulnerabilities left, right and centre in the fact that so many people have been directed to so many assets which are unsuitable uh, for uh, their liabilities to be matched. There are so many uh, banks sitting on bonds which are quite frankly trading significantly below where they've got them marked and obviously then depositors saying, oh, hang on, I don't like the look of this. Uh, I mean, why were the rating agencies so late? Why were the regulators so late? Where were the auditors? Where was their risk management? And, and it's still there in spades. So for Moody's to turn around and say, actually, we think there's a rapid deterioration in the operating environment following deposit runs at uh, Silver, Silvergate, uh, SVB, Signature, so we, we, they're still very concerned concerned about it, despite the fact 
um, that uh, regulators have moved very quickly to shore up deposits. Well, we had that roadback in regulation right in 2018 that effectively meant it lifted the threshold above some of these mid-sized uh, smaller banks. So they, they really weren't under the same level of scrutiny as the large Why? banks. Why but, but that's the point. Now we have seen the concentration of lending in one particular area of the economy. And uh, we've seen a different type of risk that's been exposed. This is a systemic risk when it comes to a smaller mid-sized bank. Uh, when it comes to investors stepping in, you know, it was Citadel that stepped in to buy just over 5% of Western Alliance Bank Corporation. You've got Anson Funds. They uh, bought an undisclosed amount of money in First Republic on Monday. You've got uh, the likes of what, Blackstone, KKR, yeah. Apollo, all looking at the loan portfolio of SVB. Everything has a price, and Absolutely. effectively these assets got repriced in the last couple of sessions very aggressively. Yeah, but is there more to come? And it's hard to believe that it's just three isolated financial institutions, especially when you see everything else that's going on, including the fact, ladies and gentlemen, that inflation, well, it eased last month as the consumer price index rose 6% on the year and 0.4% on the month, but both low, of course, in January. Uh, yeah, in line with expectations, but core CPI also calling on an annual basis, but the monthly reading came in hotter than expected. Take a look at the services side of things. Take a look at lodging. Take a look at airline fares as well. Uh, it's still a massive headache for the Fed. In fact, the problem's got much worse because of what Karen has been covering the last three days. Uh, the probability of another 25 basis point hike by the Fed this month increased after the CPI report, which is extraordinary, isn't it? Because most of you out there before SVB were pricing in 50 basis points. Oh, how fickle we are. Uh, anyway, investors now pricing in a roughly 85% chance of 25 basis points. As I say, most of you out there thought it was going to be 50 before um, what we saw from uh, SVB. Now, breaking down the numbers uh, for the year on the inflation, used car prices, which were a key driver when inflation began surging last year, fell. But shelter costs, as I mentioned, rose at their fastest annual rate since 1982. And you want the Fed to take your foot off the pedal? Shelter costs rose at their fastest annual rate since 1982. Yeah, that's quite humbling, isn't it? For those of you who think, oh, the Fed's doing the wrong thing. Anyway, accounting for 60% of the total CPI increase. Karen, what else is going on? US investor Carl Icahn says the American economy is at breaking point and the Fed should keep raising rates. He blamed poor corporate leadership and surging inflation, saying it doesn't matter whether the government saves failing banks like SVB because inflation is more important. Speaking to our U.S. colleagues, Icahn said history showed inflation had been critical for centuries. Inflation is the worst thing an economy can have, and I think people underrate that. If you look in history, every hegemony has been destroyed by inflation, or almost everyone. I mean, just go back to Rome. <laughs> that's, that's what happens. And uh, one of our major problems, I think, in this economy right now, is there's no leadership on the corporate level. You know, forget politically, and I'm not going to get into politics, but I think you, you do feel that in Washington, <laughs> nobody knows what's really going on. But forgetting that, in our corporations, and I've lived with that, I mean, all, all, uh, all my life, basically, and companies today really uh, have, with many exceptions, many, many exceptions, leadership is, is worse than mediocre. Do you know what? There is a lot of truth from Kyle I, I can there. Leadership at most corporations is, what is it, mediocre at best.
Uh, Moody's has cut its outlook on the U.S. banking sector from stable to negative, eventually. After a stock market route saw global financial stocks lose almost half a trillion dollars in market value in just two days. Bank stocks, though, did rally strongly despite the downgrade. The ratings agency said its move reflected the rapid deterioration in the ongoing operating environment after the collapse of SVB, Signature and Silvergate banks. Uh, Chief economist at Moody's Analytics, Mark Zandi, said the Fed may now pause rate hikes amid a hit to credit growth. The banks provide, you know, key, uh, it's key to the credit flows to the households and to uh, businesses. And credit growth has been good. I mean, there's been some tightening and underwriting. We've seen you know, from this Fed senior loan officer survey, for example. But, you know, the actual uh, growth in credit has been pretty consistent with the growth in the economy. That's, you know, exactly what you want. I suspect here, you know, given what's happened, we'll probably see some further tightening in underwriting, some weakening in credit growth, and that will be a drag on economic growth. Another reason why the Fed may want to, you know, pause, take a look around and see, you know, what, how a big uh, a tightening underwriting there will be and how significant the impact will be on credit flows. We had the bounce back on stock markets yesterday after the fairly steep reversal we've seen in various quarters of the market, namely around the banks, regional banks, major banks. But across the board, you could see stronger levels for the major indices, for the Dow snapping a five-day losing streak, uh, the S&P 500 ending its three-day losing streak, and solid gains for the Nasdaq, again up uh, its best-performing days since early February. But worth noting that technology names have been slightly more resilient while the banking space has been selling off. If we flip over these charts, you can take a look at the extent of the regional banks in session and just how different it looked as it played out in uh, the day yesterday versus a day earlier. 26% high for First Republic Bank. We were closely watching some of the after hours moves and it did seem uncertain as to whether the route would end. But uh, in session, that uh, pop in the stock, but still in light of very, very large moves, I mean, even a day earlier down 61%. So not quite recapturing all of that lost territory, but still very a decent double-digit move to the upside. 33% on PacWest, Zion uh, adding about 4.4%, a little bit less on some of the ranges on these two. Key Corp up almost 7%. And when it comes to the actual regional index, the KRE up just over 2% by the close of the session. Compare that to what you're seeing for the other major banks, uh, the uh, KBE, the, the main index for the major banks, that was up just uh, 1.9%. So certainly saw a rally across the board, in particular names JP Morgan two and a half percent stronger gains of 5.9 plus percent on City and Wells Fargo also rallying a take on this uh, investors looking at the deposits now flowing in to the major banks as a result of some of these contagion fears but certainly worth noting that if you're looking for what bounced it wasn't just the banks we also saw Fang plus stocks accelerating for instance uh, that ETF up 2.3 percent so very solid in other areas of the market as well. Meta, one of the contributing factors there, more than 7% to the upside. Investors looking at another round of layoffs for the company as it looks to trim costs. To Treasuries, we've seen uh, the data crossing yesterday on CPI and market reacting, and of course the repricing that's gone on in recent sessions. If you take a look at the short end of the curve, we have climbed back up to 4.31. We're still off the highs that we've had uh, prior to this, uh, where we were tipping uh, above that 5% mark. But in recent sessions, We've been hugging the 4% level, so very wide range that we've traded in this so-called safe haven. 4.31 is where we are now perched. When it comes to the assumptions, about an 80% chance of a 25 basis point by the Fed next week at this stage. So some of the assumptions are just rallying around those expectations. 3.67 is what we've got on the 10-year. A slight widening out again on that inversion versus uh, much lower levels we saw in the last 24 hours. To the dollar. 
Some of the selling uh, around that lower yield story has started to abate and we've seen some dollar strength. Morning session, sterling is on the back foot, huge focus on the budget today. Euro is climbing 107.38 at this stage. Dollar is stronger versus the Japanese yen, the safe haven, but also against the yuan. Oil prices suffering uh, amid uh, the contagion fears, uh, the concerns that the tightening of credit, uh, what we're seeing from the United States, could have ramifications for risk on assets and for the demand of the product. Brent WTI now both up more than 1%, so a solid balance this morning. Gold prices just giving back a little bit of territory, a drift here. It had been a go-to trade for some investors looking to park money in the safe haven just off the $1,900 mark. To the Asian markets that are picking up on the, the green from Wall Street, you can see it is a much firmer session playing out. Cosby, that was down heavily yesterday, bouncing one and a quarter percent some resilience across the Chinese market. Don't forget we've seen some data out of that area of the world today. Chinese industrial output for the first two months of this year has risen 2.4% from a year earlier. So uh, some life in that area of the economy. But worth noting the Japanese market that saw investors circle around some of those Japanese banks in recent session amid concerns. Uh, You can see it is a very slim range on the Tokyo stock market, Steve. Um, thanks, Karen. John Ricciardi is head of global asset uh, allocation at Deuterium Capital Management. John, how much has the shambles over U.S. banking of the last few days changed your view that you made in December that improving global financial conditions will uh, raise global output and corporate profit growth? It seems we've had a check on that assumption because of uh, what seems quite shambolic in U.S. banking. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Pleasure to speak again with you. Um, I would say that it's probably the signal for us in any case that this entire cycle, the downswing in global output, the tightening um, financial conditions um, by the world central banks in order to contain rampant inflation, that whole cycle that has put really strong downward pressure on risk assets, uh, both in the uh, fixed income world and in the um, equity growth world, is coming to an end. It looks really probable now in our research and in what we're measuring that sometime in the next quarter, we're going to get a bottom in that cycle and that actually the outlook will um, begin to improve um, quite substantially. It looks as if we're still going down in terms of economic output worldwide. We're still going down slightly faster than before, but that within a month or two, um, the downward um, can, let's say, deceleration in activity and in potential earnings will be slower. And that probably by the end of next quarter, according to our research, that it'll actually will begin to go sideways, which would be quite good news for risk assets. Um, okay, the, the basic premise upon what you're basing on is at the start there about central banks just slowing their activity. John, we've just had the highest increases in shelter costs in the United States since 1982. Um, why on earth should they take their foot off the pedal on inflation? As Carl Icahn put it, that is the root of all evil if they do do that too prematurely. Yeah, I, I would agree that inflation um, is the key element for a central bank and that um, maybe the root of all evil would actually be deflation if I had to think about what destroys financial systems and what has really um, created huge problems for economic structures like uh, current economies. Um, But I would say that there are certain lags 
that are involved in inflation and that it may be that um, the um, let's face it, we had out of a China um, about two and a half years ago, a viral um, event that affected the U.S. economy um, of 130 million uh, people working in the private sector, 20 million lost their jobs in a space of about three weeks. Um, the Federal Reserve, the uh, all the authorities had to respond, which they did, which meant by September, a lot of the damage had been contained. It was a, the shortest contraction in U.S. history. On the other hand, they were slow to rein in the money supply growth, which hit 20%, even though an economy which had fallen 10, rebounded 10, it left you a 10% excess money supply growth in 2020, September. And what did we see? In 2022, we had nearly 10% inflation. It is, I, I'm, you know, I, I've looked at the research, worked on this, uh, Milton Freeman, Anna Schwartz, um, inflation is everywhere and always, that's the quote, a monetary phenomenon. But the lag is 18 months to two years. You can have different prices going up, one will push another one out, but the overall price level seems to be a function of excess money supply. And that has been taken entirely out of the system. Actually, we have negative money supply growth in the US year on year for broad money. It really has, it doesn't come about very often. And the implications is that perhaps not this year, but the end of next year, um, the Federal Reserve will be worried about falling prices, not rising prices. So yes, we have to have inflation under control. Yes, you need a central bank that ensures uh, that all the economic partici participants have a functional banking system right. and credit system. John. Um, but it's not uh, a current. I think what's been done already is enough to take inflation um, low enough so that it appears to be under right. control. John, can we talk about risk a little bit more? I was reading a, an interesting uh, comment from uh, Eric Sturz, uh, investments, the, the uh, European Global Investment Manager, and pointing out uh, that this time round, uh, just questioning that you know what to royal the system, toxic assets that are effectively government debt. I mean, this is the safest of safe debt we're talking about here that has roiled the system, the repricing of those assets. This is very different to other crises where we've been looking at the repricing of risk in a, in a mortgage market, uh, securitized lending, just uh, what was uh, effectively underwritten at the wrong price uh, in more recent years, concerns around stampeding into ETFs and whether there's enough liquidity. But we're talking about government bonds here. What does it say about risk in future if the market can be roiled by the safest of safe assets? What you're talking about is actually um, a move towards what is more like normalization without going back to Rome or without going back even a century or a century and a half um, to have inflation running somewhere between two and four percent and to have government debt running somewhere between three and five percent for, let's say, uh, seven year durations is not particularly unusual. Um, and Fed debt, if you think back, <clears throat> looking from 1913 when they actually created the Fed. Um, it's been around those levels of the nominal rates. And what we've had here is a repricing in government debt back towards um, less of a deflationary system or um, uh, a system that required extreme liquidity um, along the lines of the ZERP 
uh, zero interest rate protocol that we've had over the last few years. What we're really looking at is um, somewhat higher, somewhat more than the 2% Fed target for inflation, but not specifically hyperinflation. If we still had the money supply growth uh, that we had two and a half years ago, we would be headed for hyperinflation and a huge problem with government debt. Um, that doesn't appear to be the question now. It's more like, can the economy grow? Can we get um, increased corporate profits? Um, can um, the trade and um, uh, foreign exchange markets um, function properly, um, given this level of interest rates around the world? John Ricciardi, thank you so much for joining us, Head of Global Asset Allocation at Deuterium Capital Management. Our colleague Hadley will be hosting a panel today on the strategic options for the financial sector as part of the annual financial sector conference in Saudi Arabia. She'll be joined by the Saudi finance minister, Mohammed Al Jadan. That is uh, the Credit Suisse chairman also on the panel, Axel Lehman, and State Street chairman and CEO, Ronald O'Hanley. We'll bring you that live in just a few minutes' time. Uh, coming up, China's economy is off to a slow start after lifting its strict COVID curbs. In December, we'll read the economic tea leaves when Squatbox returns. And for more on the relief rally in global equities, as well as the latest CPI numbers, you can check out the Squatbox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. China's post-COVID year is off to a slow start. Retail sales for the first two months of the year grew 3.5% in line with expectations. Industrial production for the period rose less than expected, though. Fixed asset investment topped forecasts, but investment in real estate sank more than 5.5% in the period, following a 10% fall for all of last year. Let's get out to Sam for more. Sam, the market is looking for areas of stability in the global economy. Just give us a sense of how China is faring at this point. Good morning to you, Karen. Well, what this data has showed us is that the economic comeback in China certainly is underway. If you look at all three of those activity indicators for the months of January and February, they all improved from Q4. So, of course, this data today is combined to strip out the distortions around the Lunar New Year uh, holiday, of course. And what it is is the first major data point that we're getting for the year and certainly since the NPC. And what it's showing us is that we're seeing an uneven recovery. There are still some parts of the economy that are slower to recover than others and need some more time to pull through, certainly from the damage that's been caused from the pandemic. So what we saw was as widely expected, those retail sales bang in line with expectations. And that was a stronger reading than the industrial output. And that was what the market was expecting to see as consumption starts to pull the weight from certainly the manufacturing side of things, 
largely thanks to what we saw over the Spring Festival, of course, with that boost to consumption. It was good for things like catering, uh, domestic travel and also tourism. What it's also telling us uh, is that it is highlighting what the softer overseas demand is doing in terms of those exports and the hit that is taking uh, to the factories, of course, over in China. It is typically a slower period for some of the uh, manufacturing and production, which tends to wind down uh, around that holiday. But what that's telling us is that uh, this growth has been largely led by consumption and also infrastructure spending. And the lag has certainly been uh, some of that property investment and also those exports. Because if you look at the fixed asset investment, what we saw was investment in the property sector continued to decline. And that certainly highlights the persistent weakness in the real estate market, despite some of these efforts by the government to uh, stimulate that sector. Um, But what we saw was we saw a big boost when it came to infrastructure spending as China is relying on its old policy playbook of pump priming the economy. And it hopes that that will create jobs and ultimately help consumption, which it needs to rely on at the moment to mitigate some of the uh, softer exports. Now, just very quickly, uh, unemployment ticking up 5.6%, youth unemployment remaining as the concerning trend in all of this in persistent high double digits at 18.1%. So that is certainly a focus for the government moving forward now. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.